Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. Again, welcome to Redemption. Glad you're all here. Good morning. It's so good to be together. Did any of you wake up this morning? Uh, which one of you are the weird ones that are willing to admit you woke up this morning with the gray upon us and went, oh yeah, I'm, I'm okay, there's a lot of hands up, okay. I'm one of those people too. Uh, for those of you that are gonna miss the sun for a little while, sorry. <laughs> they make vitamin D capsules, they're great. Um, so anyway, welcome to church. My name's Alex. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors. And uh, as you just heard Joanna read for us, we're walking through Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, most of the time, we cover larger sections of Scripture. Every once in a while, we'll slow down and cover two or three verses and sometimes uh, just a verse all by itself. And even sometimes we'll take the liberty just to talk about one word in the Bible because God can jam more truth in one sentence then, uh, well, all the libraries of the world can contain. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, I read a book this week. But I read just about the whole thing yesterday, actually. Uh, it's called The War of Art, not The Art of War, mind you, but The War of Art. And um, it's a fabulous book. And the book is about fighting what they call resistance or procrastination and how artists can go about creating and completing tasks and so on. Anyways, really great. Several of my creative friends have said, hey, seriously, read this. And so in the book, uh, the writer mentions a story from history, uh, from Greek mythology, Odysseus. And Odysseus, the story goes, is traversing these crazy seas with his, with his crew. And as they're on their way, they, they approach the shore of Ithaca, and they see several bonfires burning on the shore. And so Odysseus goes, all right, we're basically home. And Odysseus goes to the back of the boat, passes out, goes to sleep. He's going to let the rest of the crew roll him on in. They're just about there. At that time a couple of his bonehead crewmates decide, let's open up this bag that Odysseus has been carrying around, this oxhide bag. I bet he has gold in there. They open the bag. He doesn't have gold in the bag. He has the four winds of the earth all bagged up. They open the bag. The wind comes out, fills up the sail, and blows them all the way back across the sea, and they have to start all over. Why tell you that story? Because that's exactly what the theme of Hebrews is getting at. You see, the point of the Odysseus story and the theme of the letter to the Hebrews is very simple. Don't quit. Don't fall asleep. Hang in there. Don't hit cruise control. Finish the job. The Hebrew people were tempted to drop out of the race. There was pressure everywhere. There was pressure from the Roman world. The Roman government was pressuring the Christians to knock Jesus down a peg. Stop calling him Lord. Caesar is Lord. You can have Jesus, but he has to be in the pantheon with all of our other gods. The Jews were also pressuring the Christians to abandon Jesus entirely and return to following the law of Moses. So there's pressure everywhere. And here's what we have in common with them. In the first century, 
in Palestine or the 21st century in Seattle, human beings are human beings. And when we are under threat or pressure or persecution, we tend to lean into one of three or four things. Fight, flight, freeze. And the fourth one is known as fawn, which means flattering. (laughs) That's how we deal with threat. And the reason why we fight or flight, fright, this kind of stuff, why do we do that? Because we're trying to recover a sense of stability, a sense of comfort. And so in the first century, with that kind of pressure on the people, fighting was not an option. It just wasn't. You see, it was a house church versus the Roman Empire. (laughs) You can't fight these guys. And... The earliest Christians had baked into their theology a very real worldview that they signed up to lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. Take up your cross and follow me was not a metaphor for a headache. That was real. It was literal. Our Savior had said only 30 years earlier, you will be hated for my namesake. You will be like sheep among the wolves. Paul says 30 years after also, Everyone who's going to be following Jesus will be persecuted. So in the earliest sense, in the earliest form of the church, Christians had in their minds, I really can lose my life for this. I really can. And so fright had seized them. And many had gone underground and no longer were identifying as Christians, were ashamed to be identified with Jesus and his people. And they began to take flight, abandoning the church in the name of recovering comfort. There's two kinds of comforts in the world, and Christians are called to be really discerning with them. There's a capital C comfort, and then there's lowercase c comforts. Capital C comfort is what Jesus described on Maundy Thursday. When he was with the disciples in the upper room, He said, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And the disciples began to grow scared. What do you mean you're leaving? You're the one that can raise the dead and walk on the water and feed thousands and cast out demons and heal the sick. What do you mean you're leaving? You're the son of God. You can't leave. And he says, no, it's better that I go because if I go, who will come? The comforter will come. Another one. The word another, by the way, is alas, meaning another of the same kind. That when Jesus was to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, he was not sending a B-grade version of God. He was sending his very presence into the hearts of all rather than just the 12. (laughs) And so, as you hear what Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, think about that. He gives his people the comforter, not a warden, not a bully, Not a grump, not a nitpicker. (laughs) Jesus sends his people, the capital C, comforter, the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is not only with you, Jesus says he's now within you. So to discern between the capital C, comforter, and the lowercase c, comforts, take some real discernment. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians, at the very beginning of the letter, what Lisa read earlier, we comfort one another with the comfort that we have received from God. Now catch that. The way we're to go about living our Christian life is stewarding the presence of the Holy Spirit and the comfort that we receive from God. That's not just for a personal benefit, but it's actually something that we then in turn pass on to each other. So when you're in the gutter and you are faint-hearted and downcast and the Spirit of God does comfort you, take notes because those are the notes that you're going to end up passing on to your brothers and sisters in just a few days. That's what we're called to do as Christians, to steward the comfort that we have received from God. We ought to be known for being the most comforting people in the world, not conflicting people people constantly at war with culture and on Facebook and all the rest. We ought to be the most comforting community in the world. As our Afghani neighbors make their way to our doorstep, this is the call of God on the life of anyone who would come up and follow after Jesus, to be a comforter, not to ask them questions about the race, the religion, politics, and all the rest. When we see need, we move toward it in tremendous compassion and love because our Father has done that for us. So we have to discern between the lowercase c comforts of the world and the capital C comfort of the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to step on a few toes here for just a second, but I don't have an ax to grind. Just pardon me if I step on your toes we easily drift toward the lowercase c comforts. Another weekend hiking, more football games, more brunch, one more vacation because, gosh, we need another one. And all. We know the lowercase c comforts, and they come in all kinds of ways. And hear me, God is not anti-Seahawks. We know he loves the Hawks. We know this. Russell Wilson's our quarterback. Like, <laughs> but... God is not anti-lowercase c comforts. He's not. But we're called to steward those in light of all that he is in being present to us. One of the best lessons I've learned this month is from uh, one of our sisters in our church, uh, Rochelle. I was talking to her on the phone a few weeks ago, or texting back and forth a few weeks ago, and she said, you know, I realized I had to start saying no to a lot of things so that I could be ready to say yes to God when he would speak to me. And so she had carved out enough space in wisdom and saying no to certain things so that when God moved on her heart to say, hey, I need you to do this, the yes was already on green, you know? So in discerning between the lowercase and the uppercase C comforts, we're gonna have to say no to some things. And here's the thing. You feel it the way I feel it. <laughs> Denying ourselves certain pleasures in this world for the sake of Jesus is God's shortcut for your joy. <laughs> it's upside down like everything else in the kingdom of God. But as you deny yourself in order to serve Jesus and this world that he loves, that's God's shortcut to your joy and his glory. <laughs> so 
discerning between the lowercase and the uppercase. The scripture says that it says not neglecting, or literally the word translates abandoning, not abandoning the gathering of the saints, as is the habit of some. It's an easy habit to fall into in the 21st century. I can't believe they had to already start calling out this habit in the first century. I mean, some of these people in the church were in fact, some of them may have been actual eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord Jesus. And somehow they found a habit of not going to church. Gosh, what a rough lot we are. But why create a habit that you really don't want to sustain in the long run? As is the habit of some. So our church, very simply, is about faithful presence to God and self and others. We're responding to God in the gospel through faithful presence. And so here's our artwork. To God, we're present to God because God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in community, God created us, not out of a necessity, but out of a desire. Catch that? Creation exists because God wants it here. You're here on this earth because God wills your existence. So we're going to be faithfully present to show up to this God who has brought us into the family. We want to be faithfully present to God. Faithful presence to self is to remember we're the children of God. And because we're the children of God, we can be present to our whole self and not just the highlight reel of our life. To be present to our actual needs. To pay attention, to watch our life and doctrine closely. To be present to one another is God's call to everyone who would follow Jesus. And here's the thing. If we neglect the gathering of the saints, we can't fulfill our vision in any form. Here's what I mean. If we neglect the church, we say something back to God. Namely, I can grow on my own, and your plan for my discipleship and being conformed to the image of Jesus doesn't apply. It says something back to ourselves, saying, I'm sufficient in and of myself to grow all by myself. I can just download the next podcast. I can listen to the next Hillsong record. I can read another Christian book. I can read my own Bible. I can just get all that in on a hike. I don't really need to be with the church. And every New Testament Christian in the first century would look at us like sideways, like, are you serious? Not even Jesus did that. Jesus was in the synagogue every week. (laughs) We have to be with one another. It says something back to others when we neglect the church. It says, you can't count on me. I'm not really present to you. At the end of the day, you're just not a priority. That's how it really is. So we're called by God to be present to say no to some things in order to walk as obedient disciples. Faithful presence is a response to God in the gospel, not an attempt to earn salvation. All right. I think I'm done stepping on our toes now. (laughs) You're welcome. But you didn't come to church to feel comfortable, did you? Okay, so, all right. 
faithful presence. And gathering with the saints week by week is a testimony and a witness to the world around us. Here's what I mean. I get asked fairly often as a pastor, how do you go about evangelism and sharing the gospel, especially in a city like ours? How do people know that you follow Jesus? Here's a simple thing. Prioritize worship and the world will notice. When your schedule reflects a lifestyle that says Jesus is my priority and his people and his priorities are my priority, that says something to the unbelieving world. You might not need to have a thousand apologetics down on the resurrection of Jesus. If you just show up every Sunday as Christians have all over the globe for 2,000 years and do that, that alone is saying something tremendous about the power of God in your life here in Seattle in 2021 where you're going, Jesus is my priority. I have to say no to some things because I've said yes to worshiping him. And it's not because those things are bad. It's just he's better. It's an actual witness. People do take note. Your neighbors do take note. Your coworkers do take note. Your friends do take note when Jesus is the highest priority. All right. And keep moving. The rest of the verse says this. So don't neglect the gathering, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, to encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews mentions this twice in the letter, to get together and to encourage one another often. To encourage means to call to one side or put your arm around someone. It literally means to put courage into someone, to put bravery into someone, to put faith into someone, to put truth into someone. To encourage is to strengthen, to intentionally call out the good things in someone else and bring that to their own mind, to bring strength to our brothers and sisters. So the call of the church is not to show up and have a bless me if you can consumeristic attitude of going, I don't know if I'm feeling fed. (laughs) I don't know if I'm getting my needs met. I promise you, God has met your need through the resurrection of Jesus. (laughs) He separated your sins. You needed that. You needed his spirit. He's met your need. He gave you a Bible and all the rest. He's given you one another. You have had your needs met. So why do we come together? Why? We do not come merely to consume, though it's important to come and take communion and grow in the gospel and all the rest. Yes, we come to church week by week with a purpose, with an agenda, with a plan. Namely, I'm showing up on Sunday morning because I want to encourage my brothers and sisters. I know this world is hard. It's dark. It's bleak. Our politics are all over the map. Life is difficult. The polar ice caps are melting. It is bad and gloomy and hard right now. So I'm showing up 
with the focus and the purpose of finding a weary brother or a weary sister or someone who is really burned out and frustrated on the brink of deconstructing and throwing it all in the garbage can, and I want to put faith into them. I want to put courage into them. I want to put bravery into them, and I want to remind them of who Jesus is and that he has ascended, that he is at the right hand of the Father, and that nothing can separate them from the love of God. I want to remind them that the Holy Spirit is with them as they leave the building today. I want to remind them that God is with them on a boring Tuesday afternoon all by themselves. I'm going to put strength into people. I want to call attention to the promises of God. That's the purpose of getting together every single week. And it's what saints have done in cathedrals, in traditional church buildings, in huts, in the shade of a tree, and underground, all over the globe, in every language, for 2,000 years, that's what the saints are doing. They get together, not just to hear sermons and consume theological data. They get together to apply the gospel, namely through encouraging one another to hang in there, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to hold to the truth of the gospel, no matter how difficult this world is. That's what we do. So we're going to pause the sermon right here. Let's do just that. Maybe you're, you're a first time we're hearing, like, this is about to get weird. Sorry, but you did come to church. Um, but let's take just a moment with someone next to you. Maybe it's a spouse, a friend, whoever, and tell the person around you, here's one place in my life I need to be encouraged. You don't have to share the deepest, darkest skeletons in your closet and go into the, <laughs> the, the, the abyss. But to say, hey, I'm weary. Work is really hard. Hey, I'm having a hard go right now with a relationship. And take note so that you can then leave today and be mindful to pray for your neighbors. So why don't you take a minute, share with somebody next to you, here's where I need some encouragement. Go for it. I'll bring us back in like five minutes. All right, everybody. Well, it, uh, it feels good to, uh, to just pause for a minute and do something like this together. Uh, hopefully... Hopefully you got each other's names or know each other well enough. Make sure you follow up with one another this week at some point, not just have a conversation, go, right, right, I'll pray for you, and then kind of, you know, how we can do it and then forget. But let, let's be intentional about following up with one another this week, going, hey, that thing we talked about on Sunday in church, how you doing? Okay, so the last section of the verse for the day says, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the day that the writer is talking about is the same thing that's used throughout the New Testament, and it's about the return of Christ. It's like, okay, are we going to go through all of our eschatology right now? Kind of. Um, <laughs> the day is about the return of Jesus. Jesus tells us very clearly in a number of places in the Gospels to not get hung up on trying to discern the times. And to be able to look at a certain event and go, ah, now I know exactly when he's going to part the sky and return. He makes it clear. Don't get hung up on that. Get hung up on serving your neighbor. Get hung up on living for the glory of God. Get hung up on those things. But the writers also say things like this, like encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
that there is some kind of interpretive process that we're supposed to have as we walk through this world as present, discerning followers of Jesus. When you read the New Testament, you can tell, or you at least get the impression, that the authors deeply believed that Jesus was going to return within their lifetime. Do you get that impression when you read the letters? You're like, yeah, yeah, over and over again. In fact, the authors are so bold as to go ahead and say, tribulation already began. I, John, write to you in the tribulation, Revelation 1, 9. John was boiled in oil and banished to an island on Patmos. If you were to ask John, do you think the tribulation has begun? He would say, yeah, yeah. If you're to ask brothers and sisters throughout the world in certain countries right now and say, are you in tribulation? They would say, yes, absolutely. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, that began what's known as the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. There is a day coming, and it's drawing closer and closer and closer and closer. Jesus has promised that he will return. When Jesus returns, there will be no mistake about who's here and what's going on. It will be crystal clear. The Son of God will part the sky and resurrect the dead. For those who do not have their faith and their life built and rooted in the Lord Jesus, that is a day of judgment and all that you will be able to appeal to is your highlight reel of the occasional good work But your measuring rod is not your neighbor. The standard by which we will be measured is the perfect, righteous, sinless Son of God. That's the standard. And Jesus is abundantly clear about judgment. And because I love you, I want to remind you that Jesus says very clearly, not everyone is a sheep that will go into the kingdom, but rather he will divide the sheep and the goats, the sheep to his right, the goats to his left, the believers and the unbelievers, those who belong to him and those who did not. For those who do not know Jesus, John 3, verse 36, Jesus says, the wrath of God remains on that person. That's the truth. None of us deserve grace or forgiveness or heaven in and of ourselves. That's the day that the writer is talking about as you see that day drawing near. And on that day, there will not just be judgment for those outside of Jesus. It will be the greatest day. It's the day you're longing for.
It's the day <laughs> in which Jesus returns and he resurrects us to eternal life with bodies that are incorruptible. We will not be tempted to sin because sin itself will have been destroyed. We will live forever. God will renew this earth and he is going to make all things new again on that day. And so between this day and that day, our job as the followers of Jesus is to immerse ourselves in the presence of the Holy Spirit, immerse ourselves in the truth of God's word, connect ourselves deeply and personally to the life of the church and to consistently put courage, bravery, truth, strength, the very word of God into one another until that final day that we live this day today in light of that day. And I got to tell you, God did not consider Good Friday too high of a cost to bring you into his family. That Jesus went to Calvary willingly, submissively, and even joyfully because he was going to bring you into the family of God. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. So even as we grow weary with all the crazy in this world, take courage. Remember your faith is not in yourself and it's not in the White House and it's not in a local politician. Our faith is deeply rooted in the person and the work of Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God. That's the truth.